Good morning again. If you would please turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they the angels? Not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word. Father, let us see reality. Let us see the reality of what we're even doing now in worship of you because of the blood of your son who gave himself up as the propitiation for our sin. Oh, you're good. Let us see the reality of your omnipresence Let us sense by your Holy Spirit the beauty and the joy that is in your Son in the midst of the congregation and not just of us human sinners being redeemed, but of your angels. Help us see. To the glory of your name. Amen. And amen. Well, that's where we were going this morning. Last week, we dealt with almost the entire chapter of, first chapter of Hebrews, an exposition of verses 4 through 14, where we saw his, his main point is that Christ is infinitely supreme over the angelic world, over the angels. But that brings me to what I don't do often, is grab a topic, look at it as a whole, biblically, but because in the main point of the author about Christ's supremacy, it was all in the context of supremacy over angels, and so what's assumed there is that angels are. And so this morning, do angels exist? And what are they? That's where we're going. And then we'll come back at the end of the sermon again to chapter 1, verse 14. The word angel occurs 108 times in the Old Testament, 165 times in the New Testament. That's 173 times in the Bible. Angels are not peripheral to redemptive history, to the biblical text. They're everywhere. Angels came to Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels spoke to Hagar. 
Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending on that ladder. At Jesus' conception, it was announced by an angel. His birth was announced by angels. Jesus' teachings are filled with references to angelic beings. Jesus said there could be 12 legions of angels here right now. An angel was at the tomb after his resurrection. Angels were at Jesus' conception, I mean his ascension. To deny the reality of angels would be to undermine the integrity of Jesus himself. And you just look at the early church and the history Luke gives us in the book of Acts. Let me read just a a few texts of what's happening in those first number of years. In Acts 5, Luke tells us, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought these apostles out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. In Acts 8, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. In Acts 10, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. In Acts 12, verses 7 to 8, we read, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. In Acts 12.23, Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck Herod down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. In Acts 27, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said to me, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sell with you. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know, Christian, that you are to judge angels? And the book of Revelation opens up with these words. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His servants the things that must soon take place, He made it known by sending His angel to His servant, 
John. And these are just a small fraction of the biblical account of angels. So what are they? Well, first, angels are created beings. They're not eternal. Psalm 40, 148 begins with these words. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. An army of angels. Let them praise the name of Yahweh. For He, Yahweh, commanded And they, the angels, were created. And each angel is a direct creation. In other words, they weren't derived from an original pair. Like we were with Adam and Eve. Angels do not procreate. They were most likely created before the events of Genesis 1-1. Angels also are individuals. They have individual personalities, intellects, and emotions, and will, and self-consciousness. But they're spirit beings only. Unlike us human beings, we, we are spirit beings Intricately, part of the humanity is tied to the, the, what we, the physical creation, not angels. They don't have a physical flesh in blood. But there is another real world. It's very real. It's the spirit world. So I, I think it's best to say something like this. There's some sort, I know, I know I'm using physical terms of time and space, but there's some sort of spirit body. Now, why do I say that? What's the other option? They're everywhere. We're all spirit. What, what does that mean? They're not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. So there's some type of spirit form or location. This angel is over here and not over here at the moment. And angels are always described in the masculine gender. Gender is a grammatical term, but even when the pronouns are used of them, it's in the masculine Angels are able to appear or assume the form of humans, where they appear to be, even to our physical eyes, to be human, or in dreams or visions. The author of the Hebrews will later say, some of you have encountered angels, you just don't even know it. You did it unaware. Now, the word angel at its core, it means messenger. 
The Hebrew is malach. The Greek is angelos. Angels are variously called servants. The hosts, which means an army, essentially, an army of God. In Job, they're called sons of God. In the Psalms, they're called, and you'll see this numerous times, the holy ones. And only two angels in the Bible that we know of by name, and that is Michael and Gabriel. Now, how many are there? Well, we just get hints or clues, but we're told, right, the shepherds, when the announcement was made, then showed up a multitude of angels at Jesus' birth. Yahweh is called Yahweh, or the Lord of hosts, meaning of a vast army of angels. Jesus said, I could call two legions, I mean, 12 legions of angels right here, right now. And he's using the vernacular, what they understood with, with the Roman system, that a legion was 6,000. So he says, I could call 72,000 angels right here. And we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 11, these words. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. A myriad is 10,000 of 10,000s. So, angels are created. They're individuals. They're messengers. And there are myriads of them. Now, biblically, we see angels functioning in two locations or realms. We see them functioning in heaven, and we see them functioning as, as God's servants sent to us on earth. In other words, let's go to first to heaven, because not all the accounts of angels are like showing up with Mary and making the announcement of Jesus' conception and all the others, but there's just they're there for a purpose. And at its core is to worship God. And so let's turn to one of the, the preeminent. I think most of you, if I asked you, you would guess where are we going to turn? Yeah, Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 5. With Isaiah, we get a glimpse. In the year of King Uzziah that he died, I saw the Lord, Yahweh, sitting, excuse me, Adonai, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, 
And with two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I, Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Now, that word, seraphim, it just basically means burning ones. Other than that, look, we, some may claim that, but other than that, we just really don't know anything else about them. Just the meaning of the word, and it's there. But what we see is this stunning scene. And at the voice of holy, 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 the threshold shook when these angelic creatures worshipped. I think it's probably best not to picture angelic beings as chubby winged babies. Probably not as Clarence either from that great movie. But I don't, I mean probably not. I don't, I don't, I don't go on a sidetrack, but who knows? Because maybe you met one. You're just not sure, or you just don't even know it. But these angels say, holy, holy, holy is The Lord of hosts, of all the angels, the whole earth is full of His glory. That repeating in Hebrew, when you're repeating something three times, that is how you make the, the emphasis. That's the point. Holy, transcendent, separated, other. So here we see these angels in the presence of God praising His holy name. And that's what they are created for. To worship. To extol. 
to find their joy in their Creator, God. Now notice the description we see here in Isaiah 6. In verse 2, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Okay. With two, he flew makes sense to us. That's what we understand wings to do. But he had six wings. And with two, he covers his face. Our eyes to shield from the brightness of holiness personified, from the brightness of Yahweh Himself. Because angels, nor any of us human beings, we have no glory in comparison to God. And so they can't look at Him directly as if, hey, God. And then to cover their feet, which is the sign of humility before Him. So think about this. When we Christians in here and all over the world today, we gather together to sing the praises of Yahweh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we worship, it involves something much more than the eye can see. Because every genuine Christian has been brought out of darkness into light by the miracle of new birth. They have been raised up in heavenly places and seated with Christ. This is not the only reality in existence that we can feel and touch, cut up in, in, in a lab and examine. We live in another realm. We Worship in another realm. And hopefully by God's grace, you, you hear words right now from another realm to your soul. In other words, because of Jesus' blood, something's different with us sinners. We have this privilege of coming into the presence of God's goodness and grace and mercy. For instance, unlike those who are unregenerated like the vast majority of the Israelites under Moses. What I mean is this. You can flip over to chapter 12 for a moment of Hebrews. This is how the Hebrew writer will say it. In chapter 12, start with verse 18. He says, Christian, you have not come to what may be touched. 
A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Christian, you've not come to that place. But verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. This morning we are participating in worship with an uncountable number of angels who are worshiping God with us. And so these angels here in Isaiah 6, they are magnificent creatures. Oh, yeah. But not even, not even they can casually look straight-facedly at God. Oh, they don't leave their feet uncovered. It's great and is, and is good. And what I mean is that these angels are without sin. They're untainted by our human sin or angelic sin. And yet they revere and delight in their maker with great Humility in Isaiah. Oh, we can relate to him. Fellow sinful human being sees it. And the right response comes out. Very bad for me. Whoa. And you know how the story goes. And God says, I'm going to deal. Here's the call. We're going to put away the sin. And you're going to go for me. Yes. If any of us in here, okay, you got to hear the way I'm going to say it, not like the Hebrew writer would say it where you've entertained angels, but if any of us encountered an angel knowing it's an angel, in other words, encountering an angel like Joseph did, like Zechariah did, we would be terrified. And yet these very creatures themselves, they hide in holy fear and reverence from the glory, the splendor of God. How much more ought we shake with fear Enjoy in God's presence. And they come together in our Lord Jesus.
Let's go to the throne room right now by turning to Revelation chapter 4. Beginning with verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, the Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we're privileged through the Word of God to look into the chamber of heaven where we see these angels, where we have these morally pure, sinless creatures worshiping the eternally perfect being. And notice the text says they have eyes all around. Okay. My guess is so that they don't miss what there is to see. And what they are enjoying. And let me just look. Young people, children at times, and adult children at times. You look and say, that sounds boring. Holy, holy, holy. Non-stop. And that's what your mind is that no, 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 no. This is not a torture. This, this is what theologians over the centuries have called the beautific vision. Which is the highest hope of any of us frail, undone, still sinful Christian people. It's called the, the beautiful, beautific vision. Because that way of seeing is the highest 
kind of scene possible. It is the highest joy imaginable. And especially for redeemed sinners. Not angels who didn't need redemption. I think that's at the core of what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when Christ returns, every believer will be pure in heart. The Hebrew writer says it this way in chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness without which no one will see God. And the Apostle John writes this in 1 John 3, verses 2 to 3. Beloved, we are God's children right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, Jesus returns, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes that way in, in Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. I think there's a way in which he's saying that, that we will see him not merely physical here, see Him with our inner eyes, without the, the fogginess of sin, to see Him as He is. Now, I watched, I watched the Notre Dame basketball game in March Madness on Friday night. Saw it. But not really. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't there in San Diego. I saw it as it was reflected to me electronically. But, but even if I were in the arena in San Diego, watching the players run up and down the court, uh, still what I would be seeing is an image a reflection of light off of them into my eyes that are still presently working at the back of my cornea. But then we will see Him as He is. The angels 
described here in Revelation 4, cannot turn in any direction without beholding the glory of God. Eyes all around and within. That's one of the main reasons they're created. Now the other, they also relate to this created world of humanity. So if you would turn to Second Kings for a moment, just a little brief. Some of you, you know the story and hear this fascinating story. Again, if you don't know it, the context is that the Syrian king hated Elisha's guts and he wanted Elisha the prophet dead. And so here's Elisha and they're hiding out in the hills somewhere. And at night, the Syrian army surrounds Elisha. And pick up 2 Kings chapter 6 at verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God, Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, we're dead. That's what he means. What shall we do? And he Elisha the prophet said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Yeah, I think his servant thought he was nuts. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Yahweh, Please open his eyes that he may see. And so Yahweh opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha believed that there were spiritual beings all around him that were on his side in that battle. Elisha's servant found that very difficult to believe, so Elisha prays, God opens his eyes, and Elisha's prayer and God's answer to it is not show him something that's not there. It was to show him, so he could see into the other realm, what was actually there. That's reality. Christianity is supernatural. It's what it's about. It assumes a world filled with non-physical, unseen reality. Like God Himself. And like myriads of angelic 
invisible to the physical eye, beings. Look, 300 years ago, if you told somebody, you know, there's billions upon trillions upon trillions upon billions of living creatures that you cannot see called germs. And not only that, you know what they do? They kill people. Think you're a nut. Well, were they there before the, dis the invention of the microscope? Absolutely. Just because you or anyone else in this world cannot see God or God's angels doesn't mean He, they are not there. Elisha's servant couldn't see. He couldn't see the reality that was actually there. God let him see. Don't, get, don't, don't give him a hallucination. Don't let him imagine something, but let him see reality that's there. You remember the temptation of Jesus? Yes. When it was done, we read this in Matthew 4.11. Then the devil left him, and behold... Angels came and were ministering to him. So remember, it means they're messengers, they're servants. And as Luke lets us know, they're often used as a voice box for God. Sends Gabriel, right, to Zechariah, to Joseph, to Mary, to give a message. Which brings us back to Hebrews 1, verse 14. Let me just let me begin it at verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Jesus. Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Yes. Jesus is infinitely supreme over the angels. He is to be worshipped, and angels are never to be worshipped. Angels are serving Christians. But how do they do that? Okay. Okay. I, I, just, I think with the close connection in its context, what are they doing? Here's one way to see it. Verses 13 and 14. Give us a clue. Verse 13, right, is about Christ from Psalm 110. It's about Yahweh incarnate, suffered, died, resurrected, and now is ascended. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool 
for your feet. There are enemies of Christ. Which means all of those who are in Christ have enemies. So what's happening with these angels serving? One of the things that the angels are being sent to do is to serve those who are to inherit salvation. And we have enemies. Enemies that want to bring the work of Christ to nothing in your life. Enemies that want to keep Christians from inheriting salvation. Enemies such as demons. False ideas. False doctrines. Your own sinful impulses. Evil human beings like Herod. And so God is accomplishing two things through angels. He sends them to serve us so that we and every person whom Jesus went to the cross for, and you know it because He miraculously causes you to be born again. None of them will ever be lost. And here's one of the means that he sees to that. Sees to what? Through servants of angels to help you persevere in faith to the end and thus inherit eternal salvation. And by means of the angels serving us in this way, the enemies of God are made a footstool under Christ's feet. God's ways are often mind-blowing. Once we see angels in their proper place and in their role, As we have seen, angels have a role toward God, toward Christ. And they have a role from God toward His people who are in Christ. In Hebrews 1, verse 6, toward Christ, quote, Let all God's angels worship Him and toward Jesus' people. Verse 14, their role, he says, is to serve, to help us who are inheriting salvation. So, as we move on from the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, let the truth of it 
just continue to reside in your bones and in your spirit and ring in your hearts. Main point, Jesus Christ is infinitely superior to all the angelic world. The angels, they were created not to compete with Christ, like seems to be some error going on with the readers, but to worship Christ and to bring honor to Him. And the main way they do that on earth is by serving us Christians so that we would hold firm to Christ. We would go on trusting Christ, love Christ, treasure Him, and persevere to the end. If you think about it, what is being said is that angels were created for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the everlasting joy of those who are in Christ. The universe is filled with unseen helpers and the Lord wants us to be encouraged by that reality. That's why chapter 1 ends with this amazing promise. These heavenly, unseen worshipers of God Himself are sent to serve you, believer, to bring you safely Let's pray and then worship with the angels. Father, we thank you. We thank you for such a wonderful salvation to broken God belittlers whom then you plucked out of darkness to give us a sight we did not see, for you have shown in our hearts to give the light of your very glory in the gospel and the face of your Son, Jesus. And we long for the full, beatific vision. We thank you for the taste of it now here together this morning and throughout your church and churches throughout this world, Lord. Be glorified as the redeemed sing along with the angels.